A great rejoin to start the final hour of Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. It's Spencer German with you. We got 60 minutes less left, really less than 60 minutes. And we're excited to kick off this final hour of the show by going out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. He is one half of the Locked On Cast podcast, of course. And he oversees the Write Down Euclid newsletter that I get in my email. Many of you do as well. He does a great job with it. Evan Damarell joining us on the show. Evan, what's going on, my man? Not much, buddy. How are you? I'm good. We haven't had a chance to talk since the New Year, so I, I don't want to say Happy New Year because that's like way past the statute of limitations on that, but I do hope that your your year has gotten off to a good start. Well, I can't say I haven't talked to you in over a year at this point, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard to believe, but yeah, I, likewise, man. I hope it, this year's been treating you well so far. Hopefully you're staying warm with just how how cold it is out here lately. Yeah, we. Uh, my wife got her, her – the, the school got canceled today, and she works in a school district, so uh, she was home today. So we all we all hunkered down for most of the day, and then I was the one who had to brave it to, to go out and actually go to work later in the day. So here I am. But, um, yeah, it's it's – the winter weather finally showed up. It was later than I like it, but it is what it is. Uh, speaking of starting off the uh, – getting off to a good start to the year – George Niang, what the heck got into him tonight? You know, it's really interesting. He um, he said he wasn't even aware uh, post-game that he had put up so many shots until he knew something was up when a couple of his teammates were like, hey, man, like, what's your career high again? And then he kind of realized what was going on, and then he said it just uh, things were going right for him. I think he, he didn't know he was 8 of 8 from the floor, but you said it was definitely uh, not in his element to kind of – take a step back three-pointer like that, but it's kind of just indicative of how this Cavs team has played overall in this stretch without Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. Like, it's just a lot of team-centric, team-first basketball where it's, I don't want to say random guy, but you're seeing a different person just stand up and stand out, and I think the Cavs are completely okay with that because, one, it's just refreshing to see that it's not just Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen carrying this squad, but it is a collective effort, and, um, George Yang's just the latest guy to kind of have his shine, and he definitely had the right approach going after or looking ahead to the next game. He's like, yeah, I'll celebrate this moment, but you have to have amnesia in this league and kind of look ahead to the next game, which is Atlanta on Saturday, and then they start a pretty long road trip, and they play these Bucks two more times next week. So, yeah, just celebrate the moment now. But, yeah, I don't know what the heck got into him. I think a lot of it's just the fact that Milwaukee was playing a lot of drop. I think Giannis certainly played a factor in it too, but – if he's the guy who stood up and stood out good on him, it just makes life easier for everybody else on this team. How much of this recent streak is about the teams that the Cavs have played? Uh, I mean, you you played the Wizards twice, the Nets. Obviously, that was a long trip, so there's there's some context there. The Bucks without Giannis, um, et cetera. The Bulls, I think, is the one I'm missing. And how much of it is about a team – that had a lot of new pieces to start the year, dealt with a lot of injuries, and now they're kind of finding their footing in terms of how they all play together. How do you kind of, I guess, weigh those two factors in this this six-game win streak that they're on? I can understand putting an asterisk next to how this streak has gone. They are 11-3 and three since it's been nearly a, almost more than a month uh, since the news broke that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley would be sidelined. And um, 
I think you can definitely say, like, oh, the quality of opponent isn't that great, whether it's Brooklyn, Washington, or even Chicago, or Milwaukee team without Giannis. But to be fair, like, Milwaukee still had Damian Lillard tonight, and the Cavs did a wonderful job containing him. But for context, this team was almost fully healthy, and they were mopped off their own floor by the hopeless and hapless Portland Trailblazers earlier in the year. I just think... They're starting to find a little bit of their groove and kind of just maybe finding a little bit of that grit that they've been lacking to start the year. I think these guys are kind of just finding that comfort and familiarity, whether it's the new faces in Max Struess and George Yang or just the old guys kind of finding their footing. And I think, really, it's it's kind of remarkable to see how Cleveland is performing offensively. It's so three-point heavy now. I think they took 57 three-pointers the other night against Chicago, and they didn't make all of them. Clearly, it would be astounding if they did, but just the fact that they're predicating their attack on three-pointers and not really relying on just a lot of heavy pick and roll and a lot of heavy pressure at the basket instead of just, you know, spreading it out and kind of still leaning on that defensive first approach, but also realizing, like, hey, we went out this offseason and got some offensive weapons. Let them get comfortable with more minutes and kind of let us just, you know, build upon what we're trying to do. And I think looking ahead now, like, they are in a really nice spot. I think they're in a really nice groove after especially joining six in a row, but, like, eventually you'll get Darius Garland back. Eventually you'll get Evan Mobley back, and the Cavs are kind of hitting this nice stride right now where when you want to integrate those two, it's just going to make them even more of a tough out for opponents, and they could really be gunning for that second or third best record in the Eastern Conference for the better part of this remaining stretch of the season. Talking with Evan Damarell on the North Olmsted Crest Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Follow him on Twitter at AmNotEvan. You mentioned Evan Mobley and Darius Garland coming back, obviously, here in the, the near future. I know after the game, I believe it was Jason Lloyd who asked the question of JB, just how do you kind of keep this going or what does it look like when you keep trying to pay with play with more pace and different things once those guys get back? In your purview, what how how does this thing change when those guys get back? Because like you mentioned, when they were at full strength, they're getting mopped up the floor by the Portland Trailblazers, and now guys like Max Struess and George Niang are starting to find their stride, but it's without those two in the lineup. So how does reinserting them into things change the dynamic, and does it disrupt anything that they're currently uh, – kind of disrupt this run that they're on? So I don't think it'll disrupt things necessarily. You do have to go into the caveat first that Garland and Mobley both will likely be on a minutes restriction to come back to the floor. So like yeah, there's like a true. little bit of an easier way to maybe ease them back into the rotation and kind of what they're doing. At least in the case of Darius Garland, I think the transition will be a little bit easier. Um, but even before that, like there's going to be a little bit of clunkiness, a little bit of awkwardness. Like even though they are 11-3 and in these 14 games without those two and they've won six in a row, there's going to be moments where maybe – Garland or Mitchell have a bad night as they're trying to get reacclimated with one another, or maybe Mobley just doesn't show out because he's trying to find comfort with that surgically repaired knee and um, just kind of find his footing out there. But it, it can be an easing in process. I think in Garland's case, it would be a little bit easier. Um, as my co-host Chris Manning pointed out the other day on Locked on Cavs, like a really good way to get Garland going again is just let him play off ball more. Let Donovan Mitchell have the ball in his hands or Karis LeVert have the ball in his hands and just let him benefit from the fact that the Cavs are taking a three-point heavy approach and let Garland use one of his greatest strengths other than his playmaking, it's his shooting touch. And if he can kind of just spray a couple three-pointers out and you see them go in, it makes the transition easier. And then counterpoint, like 
in those limited minutes, the Cavs can kind of find some more offensive stability. I think it's, at least in the win over Chicago recently, you notice when Donovan Mitchell sat for brief moments with the offense kind of spun out of control at times. When you sit Mitchell now, you can just run exclusively Garland lineups with him being the primary ball handler, and that's another way for him to get comfortable. And I don't think guys like Struess or Niang or even Sam Merrill or anyone else who's maybe stepped up in this stretch has to, like, worry about their individual numbers just because after talking with the team and being around these guys, it is pretty clear. Like, I don't think these guys are very obsessed with one guy always being the dominant alpha and the offense every single night. Like, I think they're very comfortable sharing the wealth and guys aren't, like, all out there chasing individual, individual stats. They'd rather rack up a win, and I think – that's just an infectious attitude to have. And once you get Garland reacclimated, if a guy like Niang or Struess or even Mitchell or Allen maybe take a step back offensively or scoring-wise, it's a little bit <clears throat> easier to work with. But with Mobley, it'll just be more of a question of how far back did this injury set him just because we're kind of waiting for him to take that year three leap so far. But I think with a newfound spacing that the Cavs are really leaning on, it's going to make his life easier, uh, operating more as a big man who doesn't have to rely on stretching the floor. I think his passing just as a offensive hub for a lot of those shooters that are moving off ball could be really utilized pretty well, and I think there's ways to kind of get creative with that. And also, I think he just has that existing on-court chemistry with Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen, and I think he really did have something going with Max Struess before he was injured that It'll make the transition back to the floor a little bit easier, but I think Mobley is going to take a little bit more time just because he has been on, well, he's not on crutches anymore, but like, I mean, he was on crutches for a bit and, you know, having to go through the gradual process of being able to apply pressure to his leg. It's going to be more of a process for him, but I think they'll be okay. I think just the fact that they're able to hit this stride and kind of continue just being dominant on either end of the floor without those two is already great. And then you add those two into the mix, there's going to be some bumps in the road. But once they kind of refine that groove with two new faces that really aren't that new of faces, like it should be a pretty easy transition for the Cavs just to keep rolling. Now, there are people watching this stretch, and I, I think one of the things that comes to mind is, well, the Cavs are better without Darius Garland. Or I guess some people might even be saying they're better without Evan Moby, but I've seen the former version of that more so than I've seen the latter. What What is your response to that that take or that stance that the Cavs are better without Darius Garland or even Evan Mobley? Um, just wait for an opportunity where maybe the Cavs decide to sit Donovan Mitchell and you really say, like, oh, wow, they really could have used um, Darius Garland. And like, we talked about this a while back, back when Colin Sexton was out for the season and there's moments where, like, Garland was sitting and you're like, oh, man, the Cavs need a spark somewhere from the guard position. You're thinking, oh, it's Colin Sexton. But looking ahead now, like, you don't really see young all-star caliber point guards growing on trees. You don't see big men that are as versatile defensively and have so much untapped potential offensively like Evan Mobley that often. I'm sure like his draft classmate and Scotty Barnes is certainly making a run for it, but the Raptors are just kind of an interesting team on in how they're building right now in general. But I think they're just kind of being a little foolhardy, and I think maybe people are being prisoners of the moment. When you realize when the chips are down, you need, like, star-level talent to kind of rise to the occasion. And with this team handling adversity so well after such a rough start to the year, and I think 
you know, Garland and Mobley, even though they're not playing, still being such a big part of it, just, you know, being, I guess, cheerleaders on the sidelines just helps too. Like, I think the chemistry is just there, and um, people kind of be silenced more quickly uh, the sooner those guys get back to the floor, just because, like, it's easy to kind of think that way when they're not out there and you don't see them contributing and this team is still winning without them, but... I just hope people realize, like, hey, they're pretty dominant right now. Um, you add two kind of forces of nature in Garland and Mobley to this mix, and once things start clicking with those two in the mix, like the Cavs are just going to be a much, much harder outing for opponents. And just, you know, we're I'm not going to say like we're going to see like this against Milwaukee every single night going forward, but uh, some wins like that could happen or where the Cavs just absolutely extort, exert their will early into the game and never relent, and just Garland and Mobley will be a big part of that. Final couple minutes with Evan Damarell again. One half of the Locked On Cast podcast, and he oversees that down that right down Euclid newsletter. Uh, last thing, Evan, we saw some trade rumors popping up this week. Cavs being linked to Royce O'Neal and DeAndre Hunter. How likely do you think it is that they make a move for a, a wing player like that? Maybe not even necessarily one of them, or maybe one of them. Um, how likely is it that you think they actually make a move for a guy like that at the deadline? So when you, when you look at how this team operates, they've been largely without Ty Jerome pretty much the entire season. He played against Brooklyn and then played against Oklahoma City in the home opening loss, and he has been out of the lineup and just unavailable since then. They haven't had Ricky Rubio once this year, so that's minus two guys, so there are 12 people there. Damian Jones has been outplayed by Tristan Thompson, so you used to track that there too. So the Cavs only really have – 11 viable players, and then Craig Porter Jr. on a two-way contract. So 12 viable guys in this team. Um, When it comes to just getting players, yeah, I I think getting a wing-type player, whether that is a Royce O'Neal, and I know DeAndre Hunter's guy is in the mix, but I just don't think financially it's feasible just because the Cavs have spent most of, if not all, of their assets to go get Donovan Mitchell, and they used a little bit of what they had left in – asset-wise, um, to go get Max Struess. And then they bought out Ricky Rubio's contract, which was really like their last bullet in the chamber before they had to really think, like, okay, what can we do um, other than now we're starting to stack salaries and just keep hamstringing what little depth we already have left on this team because they're already a squad that has operated with 11 regular contract guys and a two-way guy for the better part of this season. Yeah. So when you look at that and the fact that they're a couple hundred thousand underneath the luxury tax threshold, which has some pretty heavy ramifications going forward, I think they will look at a guy like Royce O'Neal, who is a little bit more affordable. Um, he's not the player he once was when he first came to Brooklyn or even what he was when he was in Utah. Um, but he provides you three-point shooting and defense. And I think from an optic side of things, he's also one of Donovan Mitchell's best friends. They were very close in Utah, and they mm. remain so today. Like, Mitchell talks quite a bit that they play Xbox quite a bit together <laughs> during the NBA season. And so if you want to kind of maybe give yourself a leg up at the Mitchell sweepstakes, you're saying, like, hey, we're going to use the limited, limited assets we have to go get one of your best friends. That, that's helpful. And I think just when it comes to a guy like Royce O'Neal, that just at least gives you another person on this team or in this rotation or in this locker room that may not play come postseason time, but at least you know he's not phased by the moment. Yeah. And also the fact that, like, he is on a cheaper, shorter contract, like, even if it doesn't work out, you're getting out of that money sooner versus, like, a DeAndre Hunter who is making, I want to say, 50-plus million over the next three That's years. And then that, that makes it a lot 
trickier because if you want to re-sign Donovan Mitchell, then eventually sign Evan Mobley to a contract extension, and maybe you want to re-up with Jared Allen because his contract's coming to an end pretty soon. It makes things just a lot muddier for the Cavs where they want to try and remain dynamic with a pretty top-heavy team. And you have to kind of look within the margins and realize, like, okay, what can we do to kind of maybe make, I want to say a lateral move, just because, again, they've been playing with such little depth, but add a player for as little as possible while working within the very tight margins they're already in. He's Evan Damarell, does a great job covering the Cavs, but also all things Cleveland sports with the Write Down Euclid newsletter and, of course, as one half of the Locked on Cavs podcast with his partner, Chris Mann. You can follow him on Twitter at Am not Evan. Evan, always appreciate the time, my man. Plenty more where this came from throughout the rest of the year, and uh, we'll catch up soon, all right? Absolutely, yeah, no, for sure, man, anytime. Appreciate you, man. Have a good night. You too. Good stuff, Evan Damarell. Um, I like what he had to say about Royce O'Neal. He and Donovan are friends. Sign me up for that. If it's going to help keep him here, if it's going to be good for the team, I've wanted Royce O'Neal for a couple years now. I know he's not the same player as Evan alluded to, but I, I would take that. I would. All right, 216-474-992. If you want to jump in, we go off the beaten path with James next. Then we'll have one segment left on the other side. Final couple of segments to play with here on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin.